All right. <laughs> so this morning, um, we, we're in this place where God, we're on a journey as a church. We're moving somewhere. And, and part of the thing for us is that when we move, we move as one person. Jesus wants every one of us on board. I love the prayer he prayed when he prayed to the Father. And he said, Lord, I did not lose one of those that you entrusted to me. And the point with Jesus is that every single one of us is important. He died on a cross for you, and he would have done it for you only. And, and then brings you into a family and, and, and puts you in a place so that you can flourish, that you can come into the fullness of what he's called you to as a, as a person, as a family, and then obviously within the wider family that we would find that thing that he's called us to. And uh, so we're kind of at this place where the church at the moment, just kind of from a leadership perspective, there's guys, but a lot of new folk that are coming and you come with all sorts of ideas and ways of doing things and kind of mindsets. And part of our challenge is we're called to be of one mind, one heart, one purpose. Which kind of means in God's mind, when he looks at the church, he doesn't see a bunch of individuals. He sees us as one body. And every part of the body kind of working together for the good of the whole body. We're accustomed to an individualistic Christianity. It's like me and Jesus. But that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is us. It's community, it's, it's family, the, 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 the languages of body, of a temple being built together with many stones. F- only the fullness of us can reflect the fullness of what he's called to. And so we've got this kind of time where, for me, my hope is that we can win each one of your hearts to, to be joined in the way Christ wants you to be joined in. Because actually your, your destiny comes through a narrow gate into a wide space. And so this morning I hope to move us forward again. Each of these preachers I'm be doing over the next few weeks, and I'll be sharing the, the, the majority of the preaching, I think, in Sunningdale for this season, is to try and get us moving in one direction, to try and get us going as one person, and then positioning us for healing and for wholeness and for movement and for development. You know, some of us here today need healing. We come in hurting and broken. We've got, you know, our past has kind of ripped us apart inside, and we need to come into wholeness and healing. So we've got to get you to the point that you would kind of let us start helping you. And then others who've got to get you to the place where you're going, okay, I, I, I feel like I'm getting healed. I'm not fully healed because none of us is fully healed. But I'm kind of at the point where I'm wanting to start moving forward and growing. And then we've got to start trying to develop you in community, in understanding, in so many different areas. And so for me, each one of you are so important. We have this massive responsibility to really present you on that last day the way Christ wants you to be. You're not dead yet, so you're still on the journey. And together, we've got to try and go for that thing. And, and obviously, I can't push you faster than you wanting to go. So I've got to win your heart. So I've got to try and get your heart at the place that you say, we're in. We get it. We see it. We understand it. Otherwise, obedience is something that's not kind of given from the heart. It's just kind of pushed on you. And that's not God's way. The Bible says we don't lord it over your faith. That's what Paul said to the Corinthians. We don't lord it over your faith. But we do want to stir you to come into the fullness of what God's got for you. And so I've got this challenge, and the leader's with me, of trying to win your heart to the point that you would say, Jesus is worth it all. I'm in. I'm going to pour my life out for the kingdom of God. I'm prepared to change. I'm prepared to kind of open up who I am, because this is a safe place. I hope you, you, you do see that. And that together we can move forward so that you can rise up to being what Christ has called you to be. So that wasn't in my notes. But that's really where we're at right now. And that's, uh, so the next few weeks, the point of this time is to just get you aligned, get you moving, get your heart to the place that you're saying, I'm in. And for the visitors that have come in with mindsets that you're saying, gee, I'm prepared to hold my mindsets lightly. I want to learn new ways. Can I say, if God brought you here, 
He brought you here for a reason. And, it's, and, and probably the primary reason initially is because where you were at wasn't going to take you forward. In other words, you'd kind of, you, you, you've extended the, the fullness of the boundaries that you've walked in. And God's bringing you into a new space to stretch you into new things. And we've got to work with you together, kind of like coaches, spiritual coaches, to help you come through into those things. Okay. So that's where we're at right now. And my hope is actually for, for you. Uh, my hope is that each one of you. Uh, my dream is when I, I actually posted on Facebook this morning. Paul writes to the Corinthians. And he, he'd kind of written a letter to them that had offended them. First Corinthians offended the Corinthians. So much so that they started thinking he wasn't an apostle. They were like, this guy's a fake apostle. We just don't actually want him near our church again. I'm off my notes, but I'm feeling like I'm... And then, I'm, and then he, he, he writes 2 Corinthians. And actually, we don't have 2 Corinthians. Your second Corinthians in your Bible is third Corinthians, the second letter we've lost. Don't know where it went to. We know there was a second letter by the way he wrote the third letter. And then he writes his third letter. And his third letter is just actually a defense of his, of what he's called to do. He's basically, because they have rejected him. They don't want him back. And one of the things I say to him is this. You're not a real apostle because you don't follow the Spirit. Because you said that you were going to come to us on your way to Macedonia. And you didn't come to us. So obviously you're making your decisions according to the flesh, because if the Spirit had told you you were going to come to us as you wrote, you would have come. Funny how people are, eh? And so then Paul's got to defend a whole lot of things. A whole of 2 Corinthians, our 2 Corinthians is just defending his, most of it is just defending who he is. Like, no, I am an apostle and you need to listen to me. And, uh, and one of the things he writes there is he says, I didn't come to you. I know I didn't, but it's not because I'm a false apostle. I didn't come to you because I couldn't bear the thought of hurting you. Again. He says, you see, the first time I came, I, I, I was among you as one who wanted to see you come through into more, but you weren't willing to listen to him. You didn't listen. And so because you didn't listen, you, I actually hurt you. And, and it's like someone trying to move you somewhere and you don't want to go with them. You actually start to find these tensions in the relationship. And Paul writes and he says, you've actually caused, I've caused pain to you and you've caused great pain to me. I wish I had this. I should have. I'm, I'm preaching unplugged. I'm preaching without notes now. You can go read 2 Corinthians, you'll see it all there. And he says, so I didn't come to you because I couldn't bear the thought of hurting you again. Because if I hurt you, what joy have I have? You are my only joy that I have. I, I didn't come because I wanted to spare you me. But actually the very thing they needed was him. <laughs> Sometimes as leaders try and lead you, it kind of puts tension on the relationship. It puts tension on you. It, it stretches you. It kind of gets you at the point where you think, ah, who does this guy think he is? Saying the things he said, doing the things he's doing. But the point of a leader is he's got to lead you somewhere. He's got to take you somewhere. And then he writes to them, obviously, about how they are his joy and his love. And it seems that they eventually came around to accepting him again and, uh, and working with him. But the reality of it is it's a difficult time as a leader because I realize for some of you, the thought of changing is like, no ways. And yet if, if I don't push you to it, and stretch you, and challenge you to it, and provoke you to it. I'm not doing my job right. Our job isn't, you know, the job with a child, when a child is entrusted to you, the hope is not that that child, I think moms secretly do hope that the child would perpetually remain a child. MC, my wife, often says to Enya, our daughter, I just want to kind of stop you growing. Just keep you in this place forever, because you're just so cute, so lovely, as you are right now. I can't, you know, the thought of one day giving you away. You know that feeling as a mom, eh? I just want to shrink you. I just wish I could hold you where you are because you're just so special right now. But at the same time, while you want to do that, there's another party that goes, 
But I want to see you grow up. I want to see you become beautiful. I want to see all the things I put in you begin to shape you and mold you. I want to see you as a young woman one day, beautiful on your wedding day, giving you over to a bride. That's, so I'm kind of torn between, I just want to stay where you are and just keep you perpetually immature and beautiful. And another part of you, me, that wants to see you mature and grow up. And you know, as a leader, there's this challenge. And unfortunately, in, in a lot of what happens today in the body of Christ, the church is kept in perpetual immaturity. It's so cute and nice, but it's not, it's not developing. It's not growing. It's funny, my daughter's just kind of at that age as a young girl where kind of hormones and everything are starting to kick. And there's pains that she's feeling and she's sometimes tired and you know, you're suddenly supplementing her. And she's, I've, she unfortunately developed or inherited bad genes from me. One of my bad genes is my back, my neck. She's like 11 years old, and her neck is already going when she moves it. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm so sorry that you inherited that part of me. I wish you got your mum's back because she's got a better back than I've got. My back is broken. And, and, you, you, and already you're starting to think, okay, she's, she's potentially going to have my problems when she's my age. I live in permanent pain because of my neck. Sometimes I can't work because my neck goes into such spasms, I start getting migraines because my back is basically collapsed. My neck, top three vertebrae have, have disintegrated 30%. I've, my cartilages are gone. I've just, I'm a, I've got the neck of a 75-year-old, the doctors say. Auntie Peggy, I know how you feel. <laughs> Years of sport and bad genes. And I look at my daughter, and she's not there yet. She's not in pain like I am. She gets knots at 11. I'm thinking, I remember... But I'm thinking, how do we now develop her? How do we put a, we've got to take her to, you know, talking as parents, we need to take her to physio. Because if she compensates now and builds her core strength, when she's my age, she won't have my problems. But the whole time you're intentional and you're thinking, what do they need? What do I need to, so that when she's older, that she can flourish? And that's really what our job as church leaders is. It's to look at you. It's not to entertain you every Sunday. It's not a kind of, you know, stroke your head and just, you know, Jesus just loves you. You need to know that he loves you. We've got to get that in you, that you know it. But then it's to develop you. Because you have a destiny in Christ Jesus. There's a purpose that the Father has for you. And our goal is to present you on that last day. And Paul continues writing to the Corinthians. And he says this. He says, because actually at the end of the day, we can't wait to present you on that last day and boast before the Lord about you and for you to boast to the Lord about us. It's a funny picture. You're doing boast before the Lord. When I read it, it almost felt wrong. How do you boast before the Lord? But he says it. It's in the Bible. And how does he boast? Basically, he presents the Corinthian church to Jesus and he goes, Jesus, look at her, man. Check how beautiful she is. That was hard work, Lord. You know how hard we worked? Remember that time when I wrote that letter and they all offended at me and we, we, we passed them, we loved them through it. And, but look at her, God. I'm boasting about her beauty before the Lord. And then the church boasts about Paul and says, we are beautiful, but it's because of him. Because he shaped us and molded us and challenged us and wrote those hard letters to kind of challenge us to more, that we wouldn't settle, that we could continue to mature and grow up. And there's a boasting before the Lord over each other. This is the job of church leadership. This is our job is to one day boast about you saying, Jesus, when they came, oh my goodness, we all know where they were at. But look at what you did and look at what we did. Look at how they grew. Look at how they developed. Look at the, look at the love they began to show as they matured in there. Do you know that you have a purpose? The Bible says 
And before you were born, before you were in your mother's womb, He already had plans for you. Amazing, huh? The mysteries of God. When He knows how many hairs are on your head, that's pretty out there. For some of you, it's easy, but for some of us, you just think, <laughs> like I look at Grant and this. <laughs> but, but, but to know how many hairs are on our head, we're that special to Him. And then He says, I've got plans for you. In fact, God has limited what the world will see of him to you. In other words, if you don't step into what he's called you to, some part of this planet will never see Jesus the way they're supposed to. It's amazing. The glory of God that he wants the whole world, he wants to save the world. They'll never get it unless you step into what it is. You know, the superstar upfront ministry that the church is so used to isn't God's way. It's a kingdom of priests. That's God's way. It's every single one of us coming to into more. And our job isn't to entertain you. If it was, I'd be sticking to my notes. I had a really good preach prepared for this morning. And it was a building preach. It wasn't just an entertaining preach. But I feel like in the Lord, I need to just lay these things out. Because we've got to see it. We've got to get it. We've got to go, I get it. I see this. Actually, when I read my Bible, this is how it should be. And then we've got to all get on board and start working together as one person. Got to let people in. I remember years ago, you know, people look at me today and I I don't know what they think. Some people think it's awesome. Some people think it's terrible. I'm one of those guys that people love or hate. But, you know, you look at me today, I, I, I I I lead hundreds of churches around the world now. I mean, I've preached to thousands. I've led, I don't know how many people to the Lord through these years that I've served him. Do you know, when I was saved, I was so messed up. I mentioned last night at the gathering, before I was saved, Joey Callow, who leads the evening congregation, and I started doing drugs together at 18 years of age. First time I ever did drugs was with him. Up until then, my life wasn't that bad. And I fell apart quickly with drugs, the occult. By the time a Christian girl started witnessing to us, her name was Jenny Lovemore, God brought her across our path. She told me afterwards, she's actually part of our city bulk congregation today. This is years ago in Port Elizabeth. She told me afterwards, she, she, she stopped telling me about Jesus. And I asked her why after I got saved. And her words to me were, Andrew, I never thought you could get saved. You were beyond salvation. I thought Joey had a chance, but not you. You were so hard. You were so set. You were so strong in what you were doing. And then I was the first one saved. That's the mystery of God. It takes the broken Things that everyone kind of, there's no hope for that guy. He says, I'll put hope in that guy. I'll do something that no one believes possible. I, I had demons cast out of me twice. I don't know if you even believe in demons. I can tell you they're real. They're in your Bible, and I've had them in me. And I've driven them out of many others since then. I was suicidal, depressed. I wanted to commit suicide. My first year as a Christian was the hardest year of my life, trying to come out of drugs and what I was in. I didn't think I was going to make it from one week to the next. I was hanging on to Jesus. If I miss church one Sunday, I remember thinking I might not make another Sunday. I can't afford to miss church. I'm that broken. My mind is spinning all the time. I'm, I'm feeling the overwhelming feelings to just throw myself into a bus or a car as it drives past, just fighting these internal, literally demons, because they were cause time to me a year then I thought I got saved in a year later because I didn't know how to stay clean. Battling with my drugs breaks your willpower. So, you know, you make a promise, you make a commitment, and you can't hold it. And you're just sliding back down, just struggling. Just, am I ever going to make this? Every week I got saved every single Sunday for a year. 
when I say I got saved, when the guy said, is there anyone here who hasn't given their life to Jesus? You know, today you can get saved. Every Sunday for the first year of my life, I lifted my hands. I was the first hand up because I felt like I needed to get saved again because I'd fallen so far in that week. I'm not kidding you. Every Sunday, I was like, thank you. I see that hand. Uh, I come to the front and just Jesus' mercy and grace would flood me again. He'd remind me that no matter what I was doing, no matter the brokenness, he had a plan for me. He loved me and he forgave me when he died on the cross, paid fully for my sins. Washed every week. I felt like I got cleansed every week. This is my struggle as a young Christian. I mean, some of you guys look like you, like Moses compared to what I was like. <laughs> Why not? I've been saved a, a year now, struggling with my faith, struggling to stay. Keep my mind felt like it was spinning all the time, just holding on with all that I've got. Now, oh, fine. And I, had, I was invited, well, Actually, funny enough, Jenny again, the same girl that witnessed to us, studying art at the university, at the Technicon, and I was studying law at the University of Port Elizabeth. Not doing very well, I add, but I was skipping the army as long as I could. And uh, I, I, I was never ready for my law exams. So basically, I would work through the night, the whole night, so that, cramming, because I was just... I, so I'm working through the night, and at three in the morning, we decided we would have a break, because we were both going through the night for our exams the next day. So I arrived at her house for coffee at three o'clock. She lived just around the corner. And as I arrived there, we're drinking coffee, because it's going to be a long night and then a long day. And Christians start arriving at three o'clock in the morning at her house. Okay, Jenny, like, did you invite these guys? Because it's not normal for people to arrive at three in the morning. No, she says, I didn't. Just spoke to you about coming. Eventually, there's like seven Christians at her house. And I'm thinking, this is weird. It's like 3.30 in the morning. Seven Christians just arrive. Hey, feeling like God just told us we need to come here. So I, I'm like, what's going on? The next thing we start hearing about a guy that's just come out of Satanist, a guy called Stuart Meek. He's still a friend of mine, lives in the UK today. He was a Satanist, full-blown Satanist, had just given his life to the Lord and had demons cast out of him from a girl called Corley, who I didn't know. So they're telling us a story. There's a knock on the door. And guess who's standing at the door? Corley and Stuart. We're just talking about them. I'm like, something's going on. I don't know what, but something's going on. I can feel it. Something in me is starting to get a little bit like, what's happening? The water's stirring, to use Gavin's phrase. Something's happening. I don't know what, but I know there's something going down right now. This is weird. Corley sits down, and, and I mean, we're inquisitive. You drive demons out of this guy. He's sitting there. Like, he's sitting there. Telling us what happened, what it felt like. And we just like young Christians, just wow, how does that work? And the more I'm sitting with Corley, the more something in me is getting uncomfortable. I'm thinking this, this chick is freaking me out. Like I want to run from her and I don't know why. Why do I want to run from her? Because she's a Christian. She is a bit odd for those of you that know her. <laughs> Some of you do. Julie, you know her. Eccentric, eh? I'm sitting there and I'm like, there's something, you, I met you through Corley. She led, Corley led her to the Lord. How's that, huh? Bit of history coming through you. So I'm sitting there and Corley's like, so at one point, I think, I remember thinking, I'm a young Christian, I'm thinking, something in me is terrified of her. And it's not me. What is this? So at one point I break into the conversation. I say, sorry, Corley. I start thinking, maybe I've got a demon. Corley, can you see demons in people? And she's got this wicked little laugh on her, and she looks at me, she starts chuckling. <laughs> and 
And she says, why? And at that point, the demons knew they were busted. It was like they knew. And I didn't even know what was going on. I just knew I was suicidal, depressed. I was sick all the time. I was literally, my kidneys were literally, I'd been in hospital. I just got out. Kidneys failing, bladder infection, living, everything had just been. Doctors didn't know what was wrong. They're treating one. I was physically and spiritually, emotionally, and broken. Why? And the next thing. On my back, hands around, my own hands are on my own throat. I'm choking myself. I'm thinking, what is going on? I don't know what's going on right now. Christians are on me. They're holding my hands away because something's trying to kill me. It's my own hands. I'm like, how does that work? She sits on me. But she sits on top of me. So it's telling me these demons. So it's mentioning them by name, what they are. Spirit of occult, spirit of this, spirit of that. Come out. And as she's calling them, I can feel that recognizing inside of me, and these black waves inside of me, and they're, like, and, they, and they're leaving me. Don't know how many should drove out of me, but at the end, after about two hours, I just, for the first time in my life, for the first time, I felt free. It was like I was struggling with suicide, depression. I was free. It was like something in me had changed in a moment. This is where I was at. I was so broken that I didn't know how to speak to people that weren't drug addicts when I got saved. I was very shy, believe it or not. I was never a class captain, never a head boy. I was like, I was in the E-class, and I was like at the back of the E-class. I'd never did anything in my life. Never. And the Lord says, I want to cause you to be a leader in my church. <laughs> I was like, you're joking, God. Like you're picking the wrong guy. Like I've never did anything in my life. I'm a mess. Yeah, I call foolish, broken, despised things. I fix them up and I glorify my name through them. I was just like, what? How's this going to work out? I was so shy, I couldn't speak to you. I would literally be too shy. If you, I mean, forget church. If you were one of my close friends, I could not speak to you. Guess, so guess what? Uh, the Lord causes me, kind of forces me. To get his job, and I've got a bank. I've got a bank loan. I've studied law. I didn't finish it. I want to serve God, in, and I want to serve God in ministry. But I'm like, I'm a mess. Eh? Still a mess. I mean, I've got demons cast down on me, but I'm not whole. The only job I can get is as a waiter. Now, let me just tell you, it was terrifying. I had to meet people I didn't know, like absolutely terrifying. I, it was literally like. I get the job as a waiter. I think the head waiter just thought I was cute, so she gave me the job. But I knew nothing. Now I arrive first day. I'm a trainee. Now I've got to meet people at the door and take them to their seats. Oh, my goodness. I watch this car stop, and I start sweating. I've got to greet them in a few moments. Like how, I wrote down on a pad what I had to say because I knew I would freeze up when they came close to me. That's how scared I was of people. I promise you I'm not lying. You'll know all these things that last day. I literally would. So this is what I had to remember. Ha! Huh. Welcome to Mark's Kitchen, table for two. They would nod, and then I would take them to their table. It was like, okay. So I go, hi, huh? welcome to Mark's Kitchen, table for two. Yeah, okay, just follow me. There you go, your waiter will be with you now. And I was like, oh, terrified. I mean, I was literally terrified of doing it. Then I finally, after training two or three nights, I kind of, okay, I can do this. I can do this. I've, I've remembered the line. Welcome to Mark's Kitchen, table for how many there are. I've got them sitting. Okay, now you can take your first table. This is how it went down. You will see on that last day when the videos play. 
somebody else seats him at the table. I walk up, hi, my name is Andrew, I've written it down too. So I've remembered, like, you know, the first part is greet them. So, hi, lovely to have you here tonight. Uh, my name is Andrew, I'll be a waiter. Uh, could I get you anything to drink? Okay, so I remember, walk up, I've rem- you're like walking up, rehearsing it. Okay, they want this, I write down, get their drinks, I got that right, brought it back. Okay, I'm doing well. Food time. Are you guys ready to order? Yeah. Um, guy says, I, I'd like a steak. I write down steak. I look at the lady. She says, I, I want calamari. I write down calamari. Other person, I, I want um, a burger. I write down burger. Okay, great. I'll get that for you. I go to the kitchen, put the order in. I, okay, I want a <laughs> steak, calamari, and burger. What kind of steak do they want? Rump, sirloin, or fillet. Oh, flip a big price difference in these things. I don't know. I go back to the table. I'm really sorry. I'm new at this. You know, just kind of have mercy on me. So what kind of steak would you want? Rum, sirloin, or fillet? So fillet. Okay. Oh, thanks. I'll go back. Uh, what size? Two or three hundred grams? I'm really sorry. Sorry, man. I'm just really sorry. What size fillet would you like? Three hundred grams. Okay, great. Thank you. Three hundred grams. How do they want it done? I walk back. Now they're starting to chuckle when I walk up to the table. It's not very... I'm oh, so sorry. How do you want that steak done? Medium. Okay, medium. Thanks. Chips, rice, or baked potato? <laughs> I'm so sorry. Chips, rice, or baked potato? We want potato. Okay, thanks. Sour cream or butter? I just said butter. <laughs> Next thing. <laughs> Do they want sauce? No. Calamari <laughs> okay. grilled or fried? <laughs> At that point, I just said, I'm not going back. I can't go back. Somebody take the table. I can't do it. Just like, that was me. That was me. I waited for like seven years. I became a good waiter, and I learned about people. I learned how to speak to people. I didn't know that Jesus was preparing me for this. I ended up kind of getting in a church. I was part of a church. That was a lovely church. I was actually, but they weren't teaching me how to do church. They were just teaching me about Jesus, you know. I had the privilege of joining a church that was like this. Changed my life. Felt like I got born again again. You mean actually that this thing works like this too? I just thought it was me and Jesus. How did Elders and submitting to them and following them and all the things that you see now. And it was so like, what? God began to develop and shape and mold me. I was faithful and faithful and faithful. I come from the gutter. I don't know where you're at. But I know this, that God says, I know the plans that I have for you. And as you give yourself to God, as you give yourself His purposes, even though they're really difficult sometimes, he is incredible at what he does in us. He really is. I could tell you the, the things we've worked through. She, she could tell you about our marriage. When we joined that church, a new covenant church. MC and I were like killing each other. Like we got through the, look, when it came to me and Jesus, I felt like I was doing really well. But marriage was another thing altogether. There's another person in this thing. And we were like, ask her, Jules? 
It was so bad that Milani de Toy, some of you know her. She's a prophet in 412 today. She knew us. She wet, broke into tears one time at my house. Started getting angry with us and said, you are ruining my dream of ever getting married just looking at you guys. I mean, we were bad. We, we sat down with marriage couples and they're like, we've got a bad marriage. And then we start telling them our story. And then it's like, what's your problem? Just like, this is where we've come from. My wife. My wife. She's at the back. She's but sick today. We've got a tummy bug, I think, just affecting her kidney. She's got chronic kidney failure. Her story's even worse than mine. God took these broken, messed up people. And I look at what he's done, and it's like, yeah, Jesus, how did you do this? Preached to thousands now. I couldn't speak to one person. I'm not scared of those things anymore. I look at you, and I think, if all of us, if you can do that with me, well, what can you do with us? All that it needs, all that, all that I did was I was just like, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm like, I'm yours. I'll follow you. I know it, it was hard sometimes. I wanted to bail ship. I wanted to beam me up, Scotty, get me out of this. Is... But God was faithful. And God's chosen to use us together to bring glory to his son, Jesus, and to give us an inheritance with him that cannot fade or spoil, kept for us for eternity. The things we do here are to try and help you. In a sense, you've got your own journey and you'll have your own things and your own things you'll have to work through. But the point is that each one of us is presented without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. Devoted to the things of the king and the kingdom. I know we come to Jesus. And unfortunately today, Christianity has become like a... I mean, can I just be... I'm gonna, I'll, I'll land with this. But I remember when I, I was brought up in the church, actually. When I say I was brought up in the church, my dad did door duty. He uh, counted the, he did, there's an accountant, so he did the church books. He was a very good man, but he wasn't a born again Christian. He's actually today is born again. I led him to the Lord and my mom, and then our Melpo's congregation. But at that time, my dad was an upright citizen in, in East London. And we were every Sunday go to church. But there was no reality, there was no relationship with Jesus. It was just, in those days, most South Africans would say, oh, Well, I'm a Christian, I'm not a Muslim go to church. And when I got born again at, tw- at 90, 20 years of age, I remember thinking, I grew up in the church. I'd never heard that you have to be born again to go to heaven. Like, how is it possible that I grew up in the church? I can recite the Nicene Creed. I mean, the whole thing of them, that, that little green book that the Anglicans do, the Lord be with you and also with you. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise his name. I can still remember that book. No one taught me about being born again. No one taught me about relationship. No one taught me about sin and repentance. No one taught me these things. It's just like, I don't know what we did every week. We just remembered the little green book. So when I get saved, I'm like, I want to speak to the priest. Why didn't you tell me the truth? My mom begged me not to. She forbade me from doing it because there were still people of standing in that church. But then, and I remember meeting born again Christians in those days. It was 1990. And born again Christians were pretty out there. They were radical in those days. I mean, there was like, I just went mucking around. When you were born again, you were actually persecuted in those days. Like your family thought you were nuts. Do you remember those days? And we were a bit nuts, if we're honest. Remember all those weird dances they used to make us do? As David did in Jehovah's son. I mean, we were like, it was a shock. <laughs> but Christians were Christians. 
what's happened now in the church? I look at it and I go, what happened to the Christian church? Because we're supposed to be charismatic, Pentecostal. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Most charismatic churches aren't charismatic anymore. You won't find the Spirit anywhere there. They glorified, forgive me, but they glorified Baptist churches. They glorified, they're just a whole lot cooler than the church we did because the pastor's got a big beard and tattoos and he, and he preaches something relevant every Sunday. But there's no sense of a kingdom of priests. There's no sense of a people devoted to God. There's no sense of as one, you know, working as one man for the things of the king. Everyone just does their own little Christian thing on their time as they feel like it, when they feel like it. No one talks about picking up a cross and dying, losing your life for the king and the kingdom. It's become this like Christianity light. And we've got to fix that. We've got to fix that because people, what you get saved into is important. You know, you get saved into that thing and it's just so lukewarm and diluted. And you can criticize it, which a lot of people do and they just leave it. Or you can give yourself to fixing it. And somewhere along the way, I felt the Lord speak to me as I began to weep before him over his church as I saw it. God, it's such a mess. I don't even know if I want to be a part of it anymore. And the Lord said, I've raised you up to fix it. Stop moaning about it and start building it right. I said, okay, Lord. But obviously, this is not a one-man thing. It's a church thing. You're going to have to bring people to me that will give themselves together that we can become a reflection today of what Christianity should look like. And it's not something that's forced on us. It's by grace. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's God, God-led, God-given, but it's, it's so different from anything that I, I can see around. And to that end, Josh Jen was planted. And to that end, we're reworking her because she slipped in a lot of her DNA. And we're at that space right now where if you're here, I believe God's put you here. And I know you, you might you think, well, what can I bring? Well, what can I bring? Look at where I come from. What could I bring to the table but God? He calls broken, foolish, and despised things. The only people he won't work with are those who are stubborn and set in their ways. That's it. That's, you're right. And normally, there comes a measure of pride with that. So I know you, I look at you and I think, man, I know some of you are broken. I know some of you, there's like a lot of work to be done. And I get that. I've, be, I've been down that road and I'm still being worked on. But the point is, the church has got to have all of us together coming through into more. And so I have not preached my notes at all. This has totally just flowed out of my heart and what I feel God. But I feel like I need to ask you, are you hearing the spirit in what I'm saying? Because if you don't hear him, if you don't get what I'm saying, if you won't give yourself to this thing with me, it's not me, it's us. It's, people need to walk in here and go, what is this? What is this? Because I've not seen anything like it before. And you know, people could walk in initially and say, well, most churches have got worship. It sounds a bit like this. Preach. There's chairs. But as they look deeper, what do they see? What do they see? What did you see when you first came? Because I, I want to submit to you that where we've been in the last while hasn't actually been that healthy. And there's work to be done. And that means for us all, places to step into. And the good thing is this. In a sense, I feel like we're standing at the border of a promised land, like Israel did with Canaan. Remember God said, I've got a land for you? And there's a land in front of us. And a piece of it for each one of us to take. But we've got to take our land together, which means, in a sense, the captain's blowing the whistle on the ship. All hands on deck. All hands on deck. 
We're moving forward. We're going into battle. All hands on deck. Paul writes to the church. He says, we gave our heart to you. Give your heart to us. Let's do this thing as Christ wants us to. Let's run together for the glory of God. I was going to share this morning practically how we begin to do that. I'll have to move it to next week. The good thing is I'm ready for next Sunday if God allows me to do that. But I feel like the inclination of your heart is the most important thing, you see. Because I can try and teach your hands what to do. But if your hearts aren't in it, I want your hearts, man. I want your hearts. I want, I want, you see, when I got your heart, when you, when you run together and you give yourself with me to the things of God, now we're doing business. But unity is a thing of heart. And we're going to have to work through issues because we actually need to get to know each other and offend each other. We'll work through that stuff. It's part of just becoming family. You, you know, you get, like family just offends each other. But then we've got to learn how to love each other through that and reflect Christ in these things. And we've got specialists like Mac and Odin and others who are coming in that can help us train and coach each person through from the most broken through to those that are almost ready to step up to the plate and start batting. But there's work to be done. And I want us to move from consumer because that's not what Christians are. To giver, server, those who lay down their lives for their brothers because they love as Christ loves. So in a sense, I'm going to challenge, and in that need to challenge all the comfortable places that we have that don't reflect the kingdom of God with you. And, 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 and you've got to, I can't force you out of those spaces. I've got to try and provoke you and challenge you in the Holy Spirit some more. I don't want to hurt any one of you. I realize if some of you don't want to go down this road, we're going to have a Second Corinthians letter at some point. You're going to say, you're not a real apostle. You're a fakie. And we don't like what you do. You know, and they're going to find all sorts of reasons to justify what you do. I believe I am who I am. I know I am in Christ Jesus. But I know this. Unless you see it and give yourself to it, I can't lead you. We can't lead you. It's not just me. It's the elders with me. And the deacons with me. And the home group leaders with me. It's all hands on deck. So, and I'm going to ask for your heart over and over and over again until it's so in you that the inclination is we, we you know, the men came to David and they said this, David, we are yours. Success to you. David wasn't about his own success. He was about the success of God. But success, David, we're yours. We give ourselves as one man to each other. That's what I'm going for. Not for me. I, I'm, I'm, I don't need your heart. He needs me to have your heart. As I run after him for the things of the king. So again, I want to ask. I want your heart. I want to incline it. I want to train it. Are you hearing God in what I'm saying? Because if you're not, I, I, can't, I can't help you. I'm just going to, at some point, the letter's going to hurt you. The letter that I am to you. You're going to not like where I'm taking you. You're going to think, ah, I prefer just comfortable Christianity. I want to just hide in the background. I think, man, you're missing out on so much. I know some of us, are, I mean, I was there. Thank God he dragged me out of that hole. I look back and I think, thank God that I held on to you when you challenged me and stretched me. Thank God I'm not who I was. I want to hear him say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want, him, I want to hear him say that about you. I want to boast about you on that day. Lord, we did it. Remember that meeting when I asked for their hearts? You moved in them and, you, and we, we became one, Lord. You did it in us. All hands on deck. All hands on deck. Amen. Let's do this thing. Let's do this thing. 
So the next weeks, we're going to be working and moving. And again, I, for me, you know, they devoted themselves. In the New Testament, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what Acts 2 tells us. The first, this radical church that turned the world upside starts with the word devotion. Devotion. Devotion is what? It's totally giving yourself. In other words, in a sense, like it's army. When you first, who did army? You arrive at first thing and it's like, Troop, your life is not your own anymore. The government has bought you. Run. <laughs> in a sense, we're the army of God, the Bible says. And we're not our own. We were bought at a price. And we come to Jesus and we give ourselves, we devote ourselves to the things of the king and the kingdom. We submit to our leaders as unto the Lord. We run together for the things of God. Let's get this thing moving. Let's get this thing going. And I want to ask you now, I love that response. I want that response from all of you. Can we commit ourselves? If you're hearing God, in other words, we're moving. And it, I know your hearts are deep places with lots of little rooms in them. But you're going, I get this and I want to go this way. I want to move. Come on, you can lead me, Andrew. Let's do this together. You and the elders, let's take us forward. It's going to be a wild ride. We've got to do it together. And I'm going to ask you to commit again and again and again. Would you stand with me if that's you? I realize that I, I may not have all your hearts, but I pray that I don't lose one of you on this journey. I pray that in the provoking that I never become too provocative, that I offend you too much. I need to offend you just enough to get you out out of the comfort of your life. Come, let's pray together. Jesus, you died for a church that looks so glorious, God, without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish. But Lord, when we look at the earth, we see a church in the West that's comfortable, complacent, Overweight and pimply, Lord. Obsessed with herself, but not devoted to you. And Jesus, somehow inside of us, something in us says it's not right. You are worthy of so much more than what you're getting, God. And we want to give ourselves and commit and devote ourselves to being, Lord, what you call us to be. What you give us grace to be as we embrace you. Father, for each person standing before you right now, Make us one, Father, as you, Jesus, the Father, are one. Teach us how to work together for the kingdom of our God, that we would not love our lives, but that we would love each other and the king and the things of the kingdom. Father, we come and we give ourselves today. We incline our hearts towards you and say, Jesus, here we are. Here I stand. As it was said before, I can do no other. Here I stand, God, I'm yours. Work in me, shape me, mold me for your kingdom's sake. That I might be a priest for my God. And that my life would bear witness to the wonder of what it looks like to be a pure, spotless bride. Father, for each one of us, the broken, the destitute, the downtrodden, right through to those that have come through into measures of wholeness and healing. Father, move us forward and into the things that you're calling us to. Take us on, God. We don't want to stay where we are. We want to run our race and take a hold of the things for which you took a hold of us. Salvation was just the starting point. It's just the starting point. Destiny and inheritance. Purpose. 
is the end. Help us to embrace these things and to leave the comfort of where we've been and to begin a journey into a land that you've promised us. In Jesus' name. I feel like I just want to say this to you. In a sense, almost in the spirit, it's like God is saying, it's time to pack up the tent where you've been, the comfort of what you know, the life that you've kind of grown accustomed to. He says, I've got better things for you, but there's a journey to get there. You've got to let go of one thing to take a hold of another. Abraham had to leave. He had to leave something to take a hold of something. There's a leaving to take a hold of something. Can we leave together today? Can we kind of say, okay, I realize it's a journey. It's going to take a while, but we're moving. Let's do this thing for the glory of God. Amen. I'm excited to be on the journey with you guys. This next season. Huh? Yeah, that's a good call. Maybe, maybe just why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads. You know, I don't know every single one of you here today, but I do know that every time we come together like this, people come that maybe don't know who Jesus is. They've kind of maybe like me grew up in a church or maybe they had good parents or bad parents, I don't know. But they've not experienced the love of God. They've not experienced the fact that they need to be born again. And I need to explain that. So just listen just open your hearts and listen to me. The Bible tells us, keep your eyes closed and listen. The Bible tells us that there's something separating us from God called sin. I mentioned earlier that no person is born a Christian. We become one as we believe what he's done. You might be a really good person or a really rotten person like me. The reality of it is the Bible says in Romans 3.23, that every single person on planet earth has sinned. They've done things. They've said things. They've acted in such a way that they haven't reflected God. And their actions have brought death into themselves. It's a spiritual death. It's a breaking of relationships. It's a breaking of the image of God inside of them. It's a breaking of what's good. It's a slow destruction of the image of God. And we've all done it, the Bible says. Romans 6.23 says that the wages or the consequence of the things that we do, and this is a disease that spreads through all humanity, is that we, we die. We die slowly inside. We slowly destroy our marriages, our, our relationships. We, we destroy ourselves. We destroy the fact that we're called to be image bearers for God. And there's no one that can save themselves, the Bible says. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the Bible goes on to say that God so loved you the world that he couldn't bear to watch us destroying ourselves and he stepped in to save us when no one could save themselves and the way he saved us was he had to pay the price for what we'd done wrong if the consequence of a sinful action is death well then death is the price that has to be paid and so God seated in glory and majesty stepped down onto the planet 2,000 years ago to become a man. And Jesus walked the earth for 33 years, calmed storms, raised the dead, healed the sick, and did amazing things to show that he indeed was God. For who can calm a storm with a word? And he did it. Thousands believed. And then he said, that the greatest witness, the greatest proof that he is who he claims to be, is that he would go to a cross, die on that cross, and be raised from the dead three days later. And true to his word, true to what he had said, the Jews began to turn on him. They handed him to the Romans who stuck him on a cross and killed him. 
rammed a sword through his, a spear through his side up into his heart, killed him. Three days later, three days later, he was raised from the dead. And in dying on the cross, he paid the price of sin, the consequence of the actions of every single one of us. He paid for our sins in full because one of the last things he said before he died was tetelestai, Greek, which means, sorry, actually Aramaic, which means it is finished. It is paid for in full. He paid for the sins that I've done and the sins that you've done. He paid for the sins of the whole world. That whoever would believe in him, believe that he loves him, believe that he wants to save them, believes that he died in, on a cross and rose again and is right now back in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, his Father. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but that barrier between us and him would be removed called sin. And we would be called children of God, adopted into his family and given the right to know him, to walk with him, to become a friend of God. If you're here today and you've not been born again, that's what being born again is. It's believing, understanding, and having God come and break the divide between you and Him by your faith and stepping into your heart to make you new inside. It says, I'm going to give you a new heart. See, your old heart's corrupted by what you've done. It's corrupted by the world and even the things that your parents have done. So I'm going to come and I'm going to give you a brand new heart, a heart that will know me and a heart that will love me. And if you have not been born again, no matter how good or bad you are, you will have, you'll never know God. This is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. There is no way to God but through me. And if you're here today and you sense the truth in what I'm saying, somehow inside you know it like you know it to be true and you believe that with every head bowed and every eye closed, ask God to come into you and to forgive you. He'll forgive you of your sin and you'll come in. If there's anyone today, I want to ask you if that is you, lift your hand so I can see where you are and pray for you. Thank you. Anyone else? No matter what you've done, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Oh, it's the greatest gift. For God so loved the world. He loves you. He's got so much He wants to do with you. Anyone else? Thank you. Lord. Oh, you know what the Bible says? Just listen with your heart. Don't keep your eyes closed. The Bible says, when God sees one sinner repent, he gets off of his throne and starts to dance and shout and sing like a father whose child has been born because today salvation has broken out. Father, thank you that you find us wherever we are. And you save us. And I thank you for these hands, these lives that are saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me and come into my life. And we pray right now that you would come, Lord. Come into their lives and make them new inside, God. Break the divide even in this moment. And you need to know that, that that divide is broken by your by, by faith in what he's done. And God is going to come draw near to you right now. Just open your heart. He's going to come into you. He's going to give you a new heart, a new life begin to speak to you and lead you you'll hear his voice because he said this my sheep my loved ones will hear my voice and he'll lead you into life father come in come in by your spirit and make them new 
creatures in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name.